Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 124. Would you please stand as we read our text for today? Psalm 124 says this. It says, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrents would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. But blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made the heaven and the earth. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it has power to shape, to transform, to give life, to save. Lord, may this message, may the the meaning of your scripture be written on our hearts forever, and may we leave transformed. We thank you for your power and your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I've said before up here, my favorite movies of all times are The Lord of the Rings. Uh, And as a kid, I believed I was Aragorn. I think I recommended Aragorn be the name of both of our children, uh, which was vetoed. Uh, As a kid, uh, my, my favorite of those three movies was The Two Towers. And in that movie, the kingdom of Rohan is under attack, under attack by a traitor named Saruman. And he's built this army, and it says that he's trained it for one purpose, and that is the destruction of an entire people, down to every last man, woman, and child. Rohan, seeing they have no chance, uh, retreats to a mountain fortress, and there they await certain death, a few hundred against at least 10,000. Uh, Their death is almost assured, and the women and children are put into the caves where they're crying as they hear the enemies marching and footsteps approach to come and kill them. The young boys stand with swords bigger than them, standing at the gates, waiting to fight creatures much bigger than them. Hope is lost, and there is desperation and terror in the air as the forces approach. For those of us who've seen the movie, at least when I was a kid, I felt terrified as, we, as, as I imagined the feeling that these people had of this people watching this giant force come as they awaited their destruction. David, in the Bible, the king of Israel, tells us that he also experienced an invasion. Psalm 124 describes the situation in poetic language. He says, a people, a people had risen up against them which is most likely the Philistines. He says these people were so large, they're such a large army, such a large force, that they would have swallowed us up alive, is what he says. Meaning they were so large and outnumbered compared to Israel that they were like a giant beast eating a tiny little goldfish. They could have swallowed them up in one gulp. The picture of the Philistine army is like a mighty wave that once catapulted toward them would have completely engulfed them, just like a giant, like a sandcastle on the beach, completely engulfed by a giant wave, they would have been completely wiped away, gone forever. The picture is one of utter destruction and a wiping from the face of the earth. The psalm wants us to feel how certain and terrible this is, hence the vivid imagery. 
But David also says that, that they had not been given to the teeth of the enemy, to the teeth of this army. And of course, this image of, is different than being gulped down in one mouthful. It's to be in the teeth of the enemy is the picture of being eaten alive. The picture of the tearing of flesh by teeth and the grinding of teeth by prey, on prey by a predator. Israel's defeat would have been painful and horrendous, gruesome and terrible. But in verse 7, we're surprised. Like a bird that was trapped in the snare with death certain and right around the corner, the snare breaks, the bird escapes. And Israel too, in real history, escapes almost certain death by the hands of the Philistines. They escape being erased from all of history forever. How does this happen? How is Israel saved? Well, we learn from 2 Samuel that when David was made king, the Philistines rose up a great army to come and destroy him and to wipe his family from the face of the earth. But God said to David, rise up against them and I shall give them into your hand. And in a great reversal of expectations, David says that our army broke through them like mighty floodwaters. They were expecting, they felt the fear of being wiped away, but instead they wiped through their enemies. This event, this story is most likely the one that prompts the writing of Psalm 124. And here David describes in great detail the anguish and destitute situation of his people. But David says in verse 2, the difference is if the Lord had not been on our side, if the Lord had not been on our side, all these things would have happened to us. We would have been plowed by over by a raging water. But God is to be praised because he was on the side of his people. Now, the reason I love the Psalms, or one of the great reasons that I love the Psalms, is because of what they are. The Psalms, as a professor in my seminary pounded into us repeatedly, was the hymn book of Israel. The Psalms were the songs and the hymns that the people of God sang together uh, by the people uh, for the purpose of shaping them. Just like our songs are meant to shape us as one people, that's why we sing them together. That's why they're not super loud so you hear one another sing. I know some of us don't like that, but that's the purpose. Uh, it's because as we sing these together, the message begins to shape our hearts together. A song of ascent is a song that was sung by the people of God as they gathered in Israel at their yearly pilgrimage. People young and old sang these songs together, and as they did so, it told their stories together. It shaped their hearts to be more like the Lord's together, and in this, it united them. This is the effect of the Psalms. You even see this in verse 1 when he's like, you know, if the Lord was not on our side, and then he's like, let, everybody, let all Israel say, you know, if the Lord was not on our side, basically... You know, kind of like, I, I don't know, sweet Caroline, bum, 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 everybody now, right? Like sweet. So that's the idea of the psalm. He's like, I want you all to sing this, but also this is really important. Everybody sing this together. If the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been swallowed alive. Why does this matter? Why do I point out that, how, that this is how the Psalms function? Because by singing this together, or in our case, by studying this together, we are being shaped by this message together. People 10, 50, even 200 years after singing this song together, they felt and entered into the same terror as their ancestors. And they saw the same God that they worshipped faithfully save and protect his people in the past. And now thousands of years later, we get to sing this song together, 
to be shaped with our ancestors of old and the people of God throughout all time. Thousands of years later, we get to learn and trust and be shaped by the same God and hopefully turn to the same God in our help and in our times of need. In other words, all who sing this psalm together, all who study this psalm together, all these future generations of people become beneficiaries of this story of what God has done. And they become connected to the same people, which is what the church is, a connected people of God, but they also become connected to the same God. And so as we read this text, we too begin to receive the benefits and the blessings of this story. That's what we're doing. We're receiving the benefits and the blessings of the story of a God who helps and remains by the side of his people. Because they didn't get wiped off the face of the earth and wrote this story town, we too now get to hear about this same God. And we can put our faith and our trust in the same Lord who helps his people because just like them, we deeply need the Lord's help. Yahweh, that's the name of the Lord here. The maker of heaven and earth is on the side of his people, and he is our help. Therefore, just like the Israelites in our psalm, we too must learn to look to God and praise him when we see what he does. And we must also learn to look to him in times of trouble. We too must learn to look to God and praise, and we also must learn to look to him in times of trouble. So the first thing we, must, we, the people of God, must do from our text is we must look to Yahweh and praise God when we see what he's done. So if you look at this psalm, David makes something clear. If the Lord had not been on our side, if he didn't help us, we were toast. That's what he says. Verse 2 says, if the Lord was not on our side, we would have been eaten alive. We would have been swept away by these waters, and we would have been utterly destroyed. We would have been eaten and chewed up alive. We were trapped in the snares and left utterly helpless. And the pictures here are vivid. They're vivid images meant to convey, meant to try to get into our, our brains, that this is a horrible situation that they found themselves in. They were helpless. They were completely overpowered and outmatched. The horrible death and suffering that was approaching them step by step, they felt it. The gruesomeness of the death that they would have received, that feeling of being trapped. But the Lord was on their side. He helped them. And so in verse 6, David says, Blessed is the Lord. Blessed is the Lord. Because of him we've escaped. He has helped us, and this doom didn't come upon us. And now as we look upon this event and see what God has done to his people, we too need to praise God for what he's done. This salvation was great then, and it should have been praised, but it still needs to be praised. We should still praise God for the way that he has has saved his people This psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving and praise that invites us into the thanksgiving and praise that God deserves. And what's interesting about this and and, and, in the Bible is that there's this idea in the Bible that these ancient things that have happened uh, in the Bible aren't just good news for those people. The things that God has done throughout history, they aren't just good news for them. They're also good news for us. Why? Well, let's imagine for a second that Israel here is eaten up, that the line of David is wiped away. What would that mean? Well, so many of God's promises and his goodness and his faithfulness and him being worthy of worship are tied up into the people of God so that for them to be destroyed would essentially make all of those things untrue. That's what's hanging in the balance here. To, uh, you know, if... if 
If Israel is destroyed here, then the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to David, all of them would be untrue. And if God is shown to be untrue or false or be unfaithful, even once he would be a liar. He would be false. He would be unfaithful. God has bound himself through his covenants to his people. And because God is faithful here and in every story of the scripture, we can look at this thousands of years for history and know that God is faithful. He was faithful when all seemed stacked against him. When it seemed like there was no way it would work out in the end, God was faithful. When it seemed like death and destruction was certain, God intervened and saved his people. And now the people of God, for centuries after, just like us, we look at this event and we read this psalm and we know that we exist and our faith exists and our way of life and all the blessings of God, we have them and they're secure because God has always been faithful. Meaning, not only do they get the blessings of being saved, but we have our blessings of seeing God at work, and thus by faith to the same God, we praise Him. That's what we've come here to do today, to praise the Lord. When I was in high school, uh, I was in the car with one of my friends, and he decided to race his buddy. I wasn't really that great of friends with him, uh, which is all the more reason why this is terrifying. But he decided to race his friend, and so all of a sudden, we're going over 100 miles an hour, right? And as we get to this corner, my friend jerks the wheel a little bit as he goes around the corner, and so he overcorrects by jerking a little bit the other way. We're going over 100. Suddenly, we're on two wheels, Uh, And I grab the handle, and I'm just like, all right, I guess we're dead. Uh, And so we go around this corner, and as I think we're about to flip, we hit this ditch. And the ditch is kind of U-shaped. And so suddenly, as we hit this ditch at this angle, we're suddenly on four wheels again, which is great news for us. But our car starts to to veer, uh, and we we hit this barbed wire fence, because that's what's lining the ditch, because we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And suddenly the fence posts, they're like, you know, they're in the ground quite a bit. But these fence posts, as we hit the barbed wire, bend towards us and they start puncturing through the car, kind of like toothpicks into a sandwich. Like one, just like a few inches away, just right through the, the bottom of the car, into the, through the roof as well. And we end up hitting a tree with, I think it was four posts puncturing our car. And we come to a complete stop and I turn to my friend and I was like, that was awesome. <laughs> and, and my friend's like, oh my gosh, uh, my parents are going to kill me. And I was like, oh yeah, I suppose that's probably bad for you. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we walked away and it wasn't until I got home that night that I, and I was thinking about it, I was like, man, we almost died. Honestly, we probably should have. And I became very sad because I, you know, I remember two of my good friends died in car accidents in high school. And I thought I was very, very lucky to not be. And a few years, I think about three years after this, I had become a Christian. I wasn't at this point, but I had become a Christian, and I was driving down that road, and I just stopped, and I walked, and I saw, you know, all these posts had been put up a long time ago, so when they replaced the fence, they were a completely different color, so I saw each and every one we knocked over. And I went there, and I stood there on the, on the corner of the road, and I just started to praise the Lord that He had saved me. Because now I had thought of all the things that I had got to enjoy in life, all the things I would have lost if had the Lord not helped and saved me. And my my gut reaction was to praise the Lord. When I told my wife this story, she's like, wow, praise God you are still alive. And I was like, I know, because if I would have died, you wouldn't have got to marry me, and that would have stunk for you, Um, you know. But the thing is, right, 
She became a beneficiary of the story. Uh, The thing is, when we see what God has done, it is instinct for the people of God to begin to praise Him. That is our instinct. And that should be our instinct. And what this psalm is inviting us to do is to look and see God's intervention in history, to look into the story and see God's power, His care, His commitment to His people, His sovereignty, His goodness, His love. They are all on display in the story. And as we look through the, po- the poetry and the images, we should praise God. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us over to destruction and carnage. But blessed be the Lord also for our existence. We exist because of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Our children, the bounty of heaven, our children, the things we love most. Blessed be the Lord who has given us this blessing. Blessed be God for our faith, for our community, for his care for us, for his delight in us. This psalm shapes us to be the type of people who always look at life and see God and burst into praise for his mighty deeds, which is what we come here and do week in and week out. We praise the Lord. I wonder what parts of our lives and our stories we have yet to praise the Lord for. I wonder what what things the Lord has done throughout the last few weeks for us that we have not given Him praise that we should because we are to be the people of God who praise Him on earth. So the first thing we see is we're to look to God and praise Him for the things He has done. But we're also to look to God in our times of trouble as the one who helps Verse 8 says, David, he ends the psalm saying, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The message of the psalm, the thing David wants to teach his people, and the thing he wants them to pray, and the thing he wants them to know, that our help ultimately comes from Yahweh. Yahweh gives help that is more potent and more real than any other help in life. Yahweh gives gives help that is more potent and more real than any other help in life, and it's his help that ultimately we need. For David to say that our help is in the name of the Lord is for David to be saying that God's personal presence and his active care in the life of his people is the help that they need the most. It's his help that we need, and it's to him that we must turn to ultimately from the heart in our times of trouble. In another psalm, David says, some people or some nations, he says, some people put their trust for help in horses and chariots. In other words, he says, some people put their help, right, their their ultimate help, their hope for security, for well-being. Some people, some nations put that in the apex military technology of the day. The chariot was the tank. The chariot was the ancient nuclear bomb. (laughs) And he's like, some nations put their ultimate hope and trust for help in those things but not us. That is not what marks the people of God. They do, not put their, they do not put their trust in those things. Our trust is in the name of the Lord. In the true reality that believes from the heart that God is personally present and actively working for His people's good. Why? Because He made the heaven and the earth. What's he mean by that? He's saying that God's power is first universal, that there is no single space in all of creation, in all of the cosmos, in all of the universe that God's power does not ultimately touch. He made it all. He's president of all. His power touches everything. But also his power is infinite. It has no end. He makes, upholds, and governs all things. He speaks and universes come into existence. Why would we trust in anything else? Why would we trust in anything else? 
It's the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. And he says, it's because this God was on our side. It's because this God was on our side that we weren't swallowed up, that we weren't rolled over, that we weren't chewed up alive and seized from the stair. Instead, God rolled over his enemies like a wave and he saved his people. What they needed was the help that only God could give. And it's this name, this presence, this act of help that, uh, from this God who was their help in all times of trouble. And it's this God who David wants his people to sing and say together, our help is in the name of the Lord and he stands by our side. I think I've told this story before. But when I moved to China, I was 21 years old, uh, and I went there to be a missionary, and I had this sense of God's calling on my life, and I wanted to do his ministry. I wanted to, to, to proclaim his word, and I believed his promises, and I tried as best as I could to live by them, and sometimes I felt like very secure, like God wants me to be here, everything's going to go okay. But I remember two years into it, it was February, I was 23 years old, and rent came due, and in China, you pay rent once a year. And it's in cash. So you kind of feel like a gangster walking around with like giant stack of hundreds to pay your rent. It was 3,200 US dollars. And that's what I needed to pay. That's how much my rent was for the whole year. I had $800. And it was becoming the end of the the time of the month when my, uh, you know, missions company sent me my money and I did not have anywhere close enough. And I needed that money to come in three days. And I was terrified. When I went to bed that night, I didn't sleep. I prayed and I cried, mostly the whole night. I was so angry with God. And then I would be hopeful. And then I would say, why would you allow this? Had I been unfaithful? Are you unfaithful? Are you being unfaithful to me right now? I believed that you would take care of me, but I didn't even have enough money to go home and buy a plane ticket if this all failed. What was I going to do? As the sun began uh, to rise the next morning, and with a deep sense of shame, I began to plan which missionaries in the community I would ask for money. And would I ask for enough money to get home on a plane ticket, or would I ask for enough money to pay my rent? And with that deep sense of shame, I I, I got up and I checked my email, clicked refresh, and I had one. And it said this, hey, Nate, funny story. A man walked in about two months ago with a cowboy head on, and he asked what this place was. And I told him, we are a place that cares and supports missionaries while they're out in the field. And he said, well, how about that? Who would have said that he, who would have thought that something, a place like this existed in Kerrville, Texas? And then he left. He said, well, two days ago, he came back and he said he wanted to support a missionary. They asked too. He said, well, I heard there's missionaries in China. So how about one of them? He grabbed the book of of our profiles of our missionaries in China, and he was flipping through them, and he got to your page, and he said, that guy's too young to be a missionary, so I'm going to give him some money. So just to let you know, tomorrow you should have $5,000 show up in your account. He wants to remain anonymous, but I just thought you should know. And so suddenly I woke up having enough money to both pay my rent and to go home for the first time in three years. And I can tell you as I like think about this story and reflect upon this story that I'm not the hero. I'm not, uh, I'm not a great man. I'm, I oftentimes feel like I'm not even a good man. And in fact, in this story, I was ready to quit both on God <laughs> and ministry. But God helped me. God helped me. The hero of my story is the Lord. 
The hero of David's story here is the Lord. The hero of uh, uh, who helped Israel in this story is the Lord. The help of the church and the hope of the church is God. And the one who David wants his people to sing and shout praises to and turn to in times of trouble, his name is Yahweh. And his help is both more potent and real than anything else. And now, as we apply this to our lives, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying... That, that if you turn to God, that he will immediately take away all of your problems, or if you pray, he'll do exactly what you pray for. God is our help, remember, in a world where sin reigns and evil is done continually. He is our hope in the midst of those things. But remember also that everyone in this story ultimately still died. Remember that, that many in Israel, even after they were saved from the Philistines, still remained poor, still suffered crimes and violence, and still experienced the effects of sin. I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel where if you turn to God, all your problems will go away. But what this text does mean is that God ultimately works everything for good to all those who are his covenant people that he works for our good, that he is faithful to all of his promises. And whatever, whatever ultimately happens in life, God is at work in the midst even of our trials and sufferings. And we remember that the last page of the story of the scriptures ends with redemption and restoration forever. But also notice this psalm is a hope for people, for a connected and whole people This psalm is all in the plurals, and it teaches us that God cares not just about me, but us. He is for the people of God. His promises are for the church, that God helps us. He is our help. He's on our side. He cares about us. And I think we're so quick sometimes to turn every, you know, sort of message in the Bible and every psalm and and every chapter to be about me. And I think we, we often forget that God is looking at and shaping in us. That we are a deeply connected people who are responsible for one another. And some of the ways that God helps me is through the us and by getting us connected to an us. Uh, That we are deeply connected and responsible for one another. If God is ultimately our help and he is the help in our deepest needs, then that should ultimately humble us, shouldn't it? And Tim Keller says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oftentimes, that's what we think, right? I got to be humble. It means I'm worthless. I'm worth nothing. I have no dignity and value. That's not humility. That's equally being self-obsessed. Humility, Tim Keller says, is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about ourselves less. That God cares for us moves me to not be so self-consumed and self-obsessed and all my prayers to be about helping me and my heaven and my life and me, myself, and I. This psalm shapes us to see that God helps in us. And when we as a whole people turn to God for help, we declare to the world that he is the God of us. And as we hear our neighbors singing this, or as we study this together, this psalm begins to affect and shape us together to be the people of God who collectively turns to God and declares to the world, this is where our true help and security is. Not money, not weapons, not fame, but the Lord. This is who we are called to be. Now, all of you know, I think you know, that I'm a PCA pastor, that I'm reformed, and that I love being reformed. Uh, and one thing I love about being reformed and a pastor is, is the teaching that I got in seminary about Christ-centered preaching. I, I ate that stuff up in seminary. I, I love Christ-centered preaching, but I also went to seminary feeling frustrated about it at times. 
Because sometimes I think we are so quick to preach Christ in every single sermon and to try to find Christ in every single Bible study that we miss, especially in the Old Testament, that this text actually helped them. Right? And I want you to see today that this text was helpful to these Israelites. That in a world where enemies and nations rose up to kill, steal, and destroy, where suffering is rampant and people use their power almost all the time to do great evil, God had acted in history to help and defend his people. A country the size of nearly the size of New Jersey. We are remembering the stories, and they existed and were utterly vanquished, though they were surrounded by the world's superpowers who ate countries up all the time, and yet God preserved them. And the fact that we're even sitting here is a fact that God has preserved, and this was such good news to these people. And anybody who is surrounded by a nation who is severely outmatched and outnumbered, who thinks that their country is going to get rolled over in a matter of minutes— which kind of sounds like something that's going on in our world, which I remember they saying Kiev was going to be overtaken, what, a week? This is good news to people that God acts on behalf of his people in history, defends the weak and the broken. This is good news to them. But it's also impossible for me, at least, to look at this text and to see a God who comes and stands at the side of his people saves them from a mighty enemy that they could not defeat themselves, who comes and helps them in their deepest needs and not see Jesus Christ. Our help is in the name of the Lord, David says, but only if he could imagine who his ancestor would come and be and what he would come and one day do. For Jesus came and showed us and told us that our true enemies were not men who could merely kill the body, but sin and judgment death and the devil, which no man could resist. It didn't matter how powerful, how much money, how many chariots you had. No one could defeat these enemies, and the enemy was coming for all of us. It was one thing to be killed by an army, but completely another to then find oneself standing under the righteous judgment of God. And it's for this, for sin and death and judgment, that man cries out to God for its deepest help and its deepest need. And it's here where we see that God is truly on the side of his people. For it wasn't for Jesus, we too would have been swallowed alive. But as Jesus, whose, whose arms stretched wide, who left heaven and came to earth, and whose arms were stretched wide, and nails were pierced into his hands and feet, we see him completely defenseless as God's judgment and wrath wash over him like a raging wave for our sin, and death comes and swallows him alive. It's Jesus who, who is whipped by the teeth of metal barbs and nails of iron and bitten with thorns so that we might not be eaten by the ultimate prey that we could never defeat. It's he, it's Jesus, who was betrayed into the snare of the enemy, and though he could have escaped, he left his foot tied so that he would take the judgment that we deserved. It's Jesus, the God-man, who left heaven and came to earth to help us in our deepest troubles and needs and completely and utterly saves us. It's he who saves us from the enemies we could never defeat by going to a cross which we deserved where he pays the ultimate price that we were supposed to pay so that we don't taste what our sins required. Our help is in the name of the Lord, and his name is Jesus Christ. And it's to him that we praise for what he's done, and it's to him that we look to for our ultimate help. Will you do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
that our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heaven and earth. But not only are you our help, Lord, but you are truly by our side. And we know, Father, that by your Spirit you have come and indwelt us. And so, Lord, we ask for you to indwell us, for you to to increase our faith, for you to be the place we turn to for all of our help and all of our greatest needs. Maybe we trust in nothing else for our help and for our salvation but Jesus and him alone. Lord, break the bonds of every idol, of every enemy, of everybody who would manipulate us, enslave us, and take us. Free us, Lord, and help us from all these things. And especially, Lord, for those who feel a great sense of their brokenness, who are suffering, who are experiencing great loss in this room. Lord, may we remember that you are our help. And may we turn to you completely. And Father, may we as the community of Christ, who, the community of God who believes you are the great help, may we learn to love one another and be the hands and feet who helps. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.